All right. Thank you for tuning in to Honest Defense. Today, I'm honored to be joined by DJ Bonix. Bonix is Wiz Khalifa's DJ. He's also a radio DJ on Go Radio 95.3 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I grew up listening to Bonix on 96.1 Kiss FM in Pittsburgh. He was the soundtrack to my adolescence. We used to listen to Bonix all the time, driving home from school, into college. I was listening to him. So Bonix, it's just so cool to, to have you here. Thank you. Go Radio doesn't exist anymore. So, oh, shit. Uh, I'm sorry I, about that. No, no, it's cool. The station sold at the end of last year. So I'm currently not at a full-time station right okay. now. But you can still catch me on KISS Friday nights at 10 p.m., 10 to uh, 11, and then Q102 in Philadelphia from 11 to 12. And, um, yeah, so I'm still DJing and stuff. Awesome. But uh, the radio doesn't exist there. Uh, uh, sorry about that. Sorry I got some outdated information All here. good. All good. So I like to get into my guest's backgrounds, if you don't mind, like how you grew up and, and yeah. kind of how you got started. So you're from Philly, right? Yep. Philly originally, you know, a uh, little chubby Asian kid, little Filipino kid, uh, born in North Philly, lived in Alney section of Philly for a little bit, then moved to the suburbs with my parents, um, you know, grade school, uh, Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, went to University of Pittsburgh. That's how I ended up in Pittsburgh. Out of pit. And the rest is history, you know, did the college radio there, WPTS, interned at Whammo for a little bit, and they hired me for a couple of years doing, you know, pushing the broom and, um, you know, got in on KISS. That was, there were some challenges there, but had like a, almost a seven-year run at KISS. Uh, and, uh, you know, then left that for whiz and, you know, 12 years later or 10 years, 11 years later, I'm sitting, uh, right here with you at this honest offense podcast. I appreciate, I appreciate that. I'm the pinnacle of your career. That's yeah. the way you made it sound. You can't speak on what's happening after this. So I, <laughs> well, I, I want to unpack because obviously there's so much in what you just said. So I want to unpack some of it. So first of all, my friends that I knew at Pitt who were from Philly all had the same reason for going to Pitt. They said, I wanted to get as far away from home as possible mm -hmm. while still being able to pay in-state tuition. Right. Was that your reasoning? Uh, you know what I had when I was a senior in high school, I had my sister went to Duquesne. Um, so I had visited Pitt a few times, actually not even the senior when I was like in high school, uh, sophomore year, junior. And so I knew people in Pitt through my sister and, you know, I had partied there and I thought I was like this cool high school kid at frat parties and shit. Um, and, um, yeah, so I didn't, I only applied to two schools, which is funny when I really think about it, I'm like, man, I really rolled the dice there. Uh, I I applied to Hofstra, which is on Long Island, and uh, I applied to Pitt. That was it, and uh, I got into both. And uh, yeah, I don't, I didn't have a good reason except for I knew people that were at Pitt, and um, destiny's a motherfucker. Yeah, you know? yeah. Was so, it a culture shock? Because my dad's from North Philly, and mm -hmm. he went to Pittsburgh for school. That's that's how my family ended up in Pittsburgh. And yeah. he always talks about how it was a bit of a shock going from from Philly, which is an East Coast big time city, to Pittsburgh, right. which is it's still a city, but it's it's a lot of a different, more of a Midwest yeah, I feel. Mean, I, you could say that there's definitely some big cultural differences. Um, the fact that there were a lot of people from Philly there kind of made it cool and, you know, a good place to land. But in the end, I discovered how amazing Pittsburgh is, man. Like just even up until this day, um, don't ask me what city I would rather live in. You know what I'm saying? I won't, I won't make you pay. But uh, Pittsburgh is a hell of a fun town. And Philly's actually really been an amazing place in the last uh, few years, I think, though, with food and 
and it will always be a strong place of culture of, of music and and so philly definitely is making some strides um i love both cities man they both mean so much to me how'd you get into djing what age were you um i was a freshman at Pitt. oh wow literally walked on bouquet street a friend of mine introduced me to this other guy scott his name was dj ishka bibble and uh i walked into this guy's house and and um I was like, can I try these? And it literally was like love at first touch. I was like, yeah. oh, shit, this is what I want. I convinced my dad to buy me a set of turntables um, that year. So it was Christmas of 98. And um, the rest is history. Uh, did, I say, did I say the rest is history already? Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's wild how – Something like that can change your whole entire life. Yeah. Like, what were your plans? I mean, when you went to Pitt, was it just, I'm just going to go to college and figure it out? Yeah, you know, I, something you I, wanted to study? Well, I got accepted to the business school, which really I should have just done that. Um, and then I switched over to information technology because it was so new at the time. And it was like, you know, very new, but very hot. Uh, and then I went to communications because that's what you do when you're not good at school yep. and you want to graduate college, you do communications. Um, which was cool. I mean, the thing that really helped me at Pitt, and I wish that they would, I know that academia is very important, but the, just being in that environment, having access to college radio and different sort of student groups, Asian student groups and all that, I think that's just as important as a classroom. Yeah. Matter of fact, I think that was more important than the classroom for me because, I mean, no one asked me to use the Pythagorean theorem out here, you know, right. what I, mean? uh, I don't even know if I said that right. It was close. My point exactly. Oh, and that was what was so great about Pitt was that it's a big school, so you had all the school resources, and you're also in a city, so you had all the city resources. That's what I loved about Pitt is like because I, I I went to Penn State for a little bit. And I just said mm, I want to be in a city. I want to be around things outside of the school, right. and that's what I to Penn State. I gotta go. Thank you. <laughs> no, I I got my degree from Pitt. That's where I right. finished. <laughs> um pit was dope man i mean it was a big enough city for me to do what i had to do yeah um and pittsburgh's a fucking blast yeah dude. honestly like even just being there yesterday i was there yesterday like it's just easier to navigate yeah to go downtown and have a meal and walk through like to go downtown in philadelphia if you live in the suburbs it's like a thing it's yeah. like an all-day event and it's you know the the meter maids are scary in philly and everything you know so so once you got that first turntable, were you just doing kind of house parties, South Oakland, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I was like, I joined this fraternity that we had started. Basically, there was like an old charter that got kicked off campus like 10, 20 years before we got there. And uh, me and a bunch of my misfit friends, uh, we brought it back. And so I literally just DJed. I literally just was like, that was kind of like what I, I got. It was like an automatic situation that I got yeah. to DJ these parties. So I was doing house parties. Uh, and fraternity parties like keg parties in the basements of uh, South Oakland. And, you know, that's that's a magical place. I don't I, yeah. I feel like do they even have parties like that anymore in college? You know what I mean? That's it's a weird time. now. I don't I I've, it's been so long since I've been on a campus. I don't know what it's like these days, but I have to imagine it's not as fun as it was back. You know, you went before me, but even in my time. I mean, think about it, though. Like, we, I mean, yeah, I didn't even have cell phones like really you know imagine walking around south oakland without a cell phone sure. <laughs> i would not want 95 percent of what i did in south oakland to be recorded i'll tell you that um that's another kind of thing. <laughs> okay, okay. Totally. 
So uh, when did you say, okay, maybe I can do this as a career? Because it's like, that's what always fascinates me is I have so many things that I really enjoy doing, but I've, I, the people who are able to take that and then say, oh, I can actually make money doing this. I can pay my rent doing this. Right. That's the leap that I'm like, that fascinates me. Is, is when were you able to, to well, envision that? You know, I heard something recently and I tweeted it. Uh, is that there should be no plan B. You know what I'm saying? If there's a plan B, then you're recognizing that your plan A um, has holes in it. Uh, and that doesn't go across the board. I think it's that's just a metaphor for like really taking something, encompassing it, something that you love, which was music at the time, music, and being able to bring, you know, because when I first started DJing, I was like, try to do the sway and tech thing. Like, it's about underground hip hop. I want to represent um, you know, underground artists and fuck mainstream music. You know, that's the classic college radio approach. Uh, but then when I understood that I could control the mood of a room by manipulating the music and playing songs that people love and introduce them to new sounds and, and, and present it how I would want to hear it, I, um, I understood that. So, like, really, it first started with radio, like, and being like, yo, I want to be in radio. Which I did. And I think it's just a matter of like, I told you before, I don't think there was this like click moment, but I remember even getting a job. Like I was the program director and then uh, eventually the, I ran the radio station, the college station and the school paid you for that. Um, you know, not crazy amounts, but like I would just be getting a check and yeah. it just didn't even matter, you know? And then eventually I'd be getting cash so there was a long period of time where I was kind of irresponsible with money, but it still like paid my bills and I had shitty credit in my twenties and I didn't dude. I wish that someone would have been like, I mean, my parents told me to save money my whole life, but I wish that, um, you had listened. Yeah. I mean, I, dude, I made enough shoebox money in my twenties to have bought my, probably could have bought a house right. by the time I bought a couple of properties in Pittsburgh. But like, honestly, my focus was just being on the radio, being the best DJ I could be. Uh, and, that like really like the how old are you uh 32 okay 32 like the 20s honestly is really the foundation to perfect the craft yeah uh and that's what happened and and dude it shit took me around the world like you know i mean first of all i got to do radio on in pittsburgh nights afternoons and i was djing six seven nights a week like you know mikey and bob got a lot of the you know got a lot of the dap and were the basically the bigger mascots of the radio station but for a kid they were paying $16,000 a year for for the first four, four or five years, um, I made it work. You know what I mean? And it was never about the money. That was the beautiful part about it is like it never was about the money. It was just trying to put myself in places that I thought were the right steps to get to where I want to be. And that makes sense to me. Like, And that's the part that I feel like a lot of people skip is like, hey, in order to be something, you got to be good at it. And a lot of people want to skip those steps because it's so easy for them to see the results, before, uh, you know, see everyone else's results and not really see the, the work, you know? So how did you avoid that? I mean, how did you go through those couple years of, of making fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars and not think, ah, I should be doing more. I should be making more. I mean, I that was the salary at the radio, but I was yeah. fucking making cash hand over fist DJing at night. And these promoters and club owners and shit. I mean, when you really look at it then, it's really more competitive now because there's a trillion DJs, but I was cool with 300 bucks a night, you know, which is still a rate right now, like going around in, you know, in Pittsburgh and other cities. But now 
I still think 300 bucks a night, if you're a person who has to decide between $15 an hour and 300 bucks, uh, you know, to get free drinks and play music you didn't pay for. Right. Um, but then it never was about like, and I wish it was a little bit about the money as far as like my approach and how to save money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But man, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking about, I need to get good at this. Look at all this attention I'm getting. Um, from it and look how I'm imp- impacting people's lives doing it the way I want to do it. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was real special. So, man, as far as a career is concerned, it just happened because I loved it. It wasn't a plan. Yeah. I, I think that's the thing people need to realize is you got to just pursue that thing you like and just appreciate those small paychecks, appreciate that's the small gains that you're getting and realize, okay, people are starting to see that I'm doing something good here and maybe I'm not where I ex- exactly I want to be right now, but at least find those little steps of progress just so you know, okay, I'm, I'm doing something right here. And when you're highly visible and you're pretty good at what you do, no one can deny that shit. Yeah. And was I supposed to be in that position? Shit, I guess so. But like, dude, I was just a little chubby kid from Philly who was shy um, to being the, the DJ on campus at Pitt to being on the radio, making the shitty salary um, to, you know, jumping on tour with Wiz and experiencing a whole nother, like when I really think about it, I only started touring with Wiz when I turned 30. And so I, there's still young people right now, 24, 25, like, whoa, I don't know where my life is going. And I'm like, yo, like just be good at something. Yeah. I had someone reach out to me that was today. That was like, I have this opportunity for a full-time job and benefits, but I like what I'm doing right now, but it's part-time and I won't be able to do both, but I do feel like I need to start planning for my future. And, and and so like, yes and no, like that subconscious sort of we're pre where we've been programmed to, this is how we're supposed to live our life. This is, we're supposed to have benefits. Of course it's nice to have benefits. Of course it's nice to have 40 hour a week job, but like, man, you can create your own timeline, how you want to go about your life. And I mean, I, we were all a part of that. We were all a part of being pressured to be like, Hey, you know, thankfully, you know, there's a stereotype with Asian parents and shit. Like you want to be a doctor or this and that, blah, blah, blah. And, um, I'm thankful that, uh, my parents weren't that way, I guess. I mean, they wanted me to excel. I remember calling my mom and saying, uh, I'm not going to do, um, it anymore. I'm going to do, they don't even know what it was then though. Either. Sure. It anymore. I'm going to do communications well what's that going to do mom i i want to try to get on the radio and can you imagine like your kid saying that to you yeah because to be honest with you the odds of that are really impossible um they're not impossible but the odds are really the way i like to describe it is when i get an intern in the room or if i have my own personal intern i always say to them uh, i'll use pittsburgh as an example and i'll just pretend like you're my intern sure um i would say eric there's like million people in Pittsburgh, maybe more. I was like, there's two radio stations that I could probably be on, Whammo and Kiss. In each of these radio stations, there's maybe, I couldn't do mornings. So maybe there's like two slots I could do, middays and afternoons or nights. So maybe, so there's six slots. And Eric, you're in with me in one of these slots out of the million plus people that are in the city. And when you really kind of, you know, it reminds me of like a studio and or a studio, a satellite, and you just like, and it's like that's how you got to look at it. That's how you got to look at it. Like, what are the chances of you being in this situation? The million to one, and you're the one. 
you know, and when you frame things like that, you really see how you, you might be more grateful about the opportunity. Some people are like, Oh, I have an internship. You know, a lot of, I challenged a hella interns my whole career. Like, well, what do you, you know, they're like, Oh, I'm supposed to do this for credit. I was like, well then I don't even want you to be here. I want you to do it because you want to do it. Right. Right. It takes that, it takes that passion. I mean, it's just passion and, and really like common sense. But that's the thing is who's teaching you passion. You can't be taught it. Right. I mean, you can, it's just not the mainstream thing to do. It's not like, it's just like we should be learning how to do banking and credit cards in high school, you know, um, or college, but no one teaches you that. So if you have opportunity to impact someone and help them learn less lessons that would help them in the future and you're not doing that, then you're choosing not to help support someone, you know? Yeah. And I think so much of school, it it sucks the passion out of you. Like, because I loved editing videos. I loved doing the morning announcements and doing that sort of shit. And I got to spend two hours a day in algebra and calculus mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. do this, all this other shit that I don't want to do that I'm never, I know at 16, I'm never going to do this, but right. I have to spend 60% of my day doing all of this stuff. It kind of, it sucks that passion out of you. So you're just, you're tired. I mean, it's just like this, though. Um, I call it the debt to the blessings, man. Like, trust me, I hate going to all the, those classes. But if it allowed me to be a part, if I had to go to school to get an internship, to get credit, if I had to go to school to be a part of the radio station, it was worth it. And trust me, I wish and some of my classmates probably don't know that I like have gotten this far. But if you were to ask some people that shared the same classrooms as me, like, I was either not there or I was sleeping. Yeah. Um, some classes I, I excelled more than others, but uh, you know, some of those algebras and logic and I was, I'll tell you a really cool story though about communications. Like this is to me a true communications major. It was my senior year and I was taking a black studies class, maybe like black history. And um, I was running the radio station at the time. And I didn't really show up to this class at all. And so on the final, there was like multiple choice, which I could guess my way through. There was matching, which is kind of crazy that there's matching on college tests, like matching. It seems so primitive. Um, and then there were like five essays, maybe like three, three or four, three to five. And uh, I literally wrote an essay. I said, dear professor, whatever, I appreciate you and I respect your class. Uh, I'm the program director. I, I run the college radio station and I intern at WAMO. I know what I want to do with my life. I want to be in radio, which means, unfortunately, that I just didn't come to your class often. And um, I just wanted to tell you that uh, I know what I want to do. And so that's what I've been focusing on. And he gave me a fucking B in the class. It's not bad. And I, to me, that's a true communications um, yeah. uh True communication student there basically just saying, hey, I'm going to communicate to you that right. this shit don't matter to me right now. Right. Uh, and, you know, whatever. All respects, not whatever, but all respect to black history in that class. Yeah. Uh, but I was trying to run a radio station. Well, and that's great that the professors saw that, hey, you're doing what you want to do. And I, I get it. You know, I think a lot of professors have the ego to be like, hey, you missed my class. I'm failing you. That's it. This is my class. You can't skip my class. So. 
to get a B out of that, I mean, that's a lot on the professor to to be able to see that in you. I mean, I think when you're honest, there's something to be said about that too. Yeah. Right. Was hip hop always your genre? Like, did you grow up listening to hip hop? Uh, of course, but it's not always my genre. I guess it was just the genre that like was what was my generation, right? Because I definitely, certainly love DJing, funk and soul and 80s. And I fucking love that shit. Disco, house music. I mean, when you grow up in, I feel like as a, like hip hop in the 90s still uh, meant other other genres of hip hop like you know Funkmaster Flex in the 90s was playing house music on High 97 so um you know hip hop wasn't even that big so man but I did love all the shit that I would listen to in the backseat of my mom's car 80s 90s Michael Stevie all that shit so I, I and truthfully like a lot of this new trap music and shit doesn't resonate with me like old guy uh, old guy alert. Um, yep, that's, I feel the same way. That's how but, I know I'm getting old. But I get it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So when you see people react to it, I'm just like, all right, well, I can't deny that either. Yeah, yeah. So you were in Pittsburgh at the perfect time to be a hip-hop DJ because it was kind of around the start of Rostrum Records and Wiz and Mac Miller. How did you get hooked up with Wiz to begin with? Uh, you know, Edan, Eric Dan, ID Labs, who you should have on the podcast one day. Yeah, absolutely. Who is releasing his first instrumental album tomorrow? Cool. Uh, well, whenever you see this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever the dates, whatever the date is, um, he, um, he, I would come to his studio because, like, you know, that was my guy. That was like who I would hang out with. Um, and he was in a rap group, and I just surrounded myself around people that like I wanted to be like. And he used to tell me, he's like, man, there's this kid Cameron who records after school here with his friends, his friends suck, but he's really good. And, um, kind of, that was the whole thing. Eden expressed that to his friends and then Benji got involved and, um, you know, Benji definitely helped Wiz get to where he is. Uh, Benji's no longer in the picture anymore. Um, but, uh, really, Wiz had a that's how I met Wiz and so like I was what year was this what year was this that you first that was probably like oh six oh seven oh six and um so I already knew Wiz what he was doing but I was on the radio and I was on Kiss so I was the man in my own respective way so eventually like 2010 like so I helped I helped book Wiz at a lot of his shows um Slippery Rock opened up for TI his first pitch show a couple pitch shows um I was at that first pit show, the Bigelow Bash in, in 2007, I think was his first show at Pitt. And so I was a freshman at Pitt that year. This I tell people I discovered Wiz Khalifa because I was a freshman at Pitt that year. His name wasn't Wiz though at the time, no, right? No, um, I, it was Wiz. Was it the outside show or was it the inside show? It was show? the outside show. Because the outside show, I had booked... Go ahead, go ahead. I was saying I had booked Wiz for a Bigelow Bash, but I don't even think he was Wiz Khalifa. It was Cam and nobody showed up for it. So it could have been... Uh, maybe it wasn't his first show because this was after he had put out Show and Prove already. He already had Pittsburgh Sound out there. Mm -hmm. So he was Wiz Khalifa at that point. Right. So, so yeah. So maybe he did a do outside show, but uh, yeah, man, fucking what a ride. Yeah. And just to see him succeed and be a part of a crazy era. Think about Pittsburgh in that decade, like Penguins, Steelers, Heinz Ward, Big Ben, The Bus, Wiz, Mac, 
um, it was a good time, man. It was a good time in Pittsburgh. And I like to, yeah, I like to credit all of the creatives and DJs and promoters at the time for really, you know, social, we didn't really have social media then. So some of the real major players in the scene may never get the dap that they, um, that they deserve. So at what point did Wiz say, Hey, come on the road with, first of all, explain, you know, cause I think a lot of people's views, people who don't know what they're talking about, their views of DJs are, oh, you hit play on your iPod and that's it. Like how much of a job really is that? So when you, when you're doing a show with Wiz, what is it that you're actually doing? Um, I'm making sure that he has the greatest set of this night. So I'm playing his music. I'm introducing him. I'm ad-libbing. I'm basically his hype man a lot of times. And, um, when there's a band, I definitely help the band kind of curate. Um, you know, I just make sure Wiz gets what he wants. Yeah. And uh, so I am his DJ, and it's been an amazing opportunity. As far as like transforming from being the man in Pittsburgh on the radio to being the man behind the man, it really taught me to it really taught me to not have to be the center of attention. And I think a lot of DJs these days are like so addicted to that main character shit. Like I can do what I want. I show up what I want. I'm the man that that really helped my probably turned my ego down. Like I don't, I'd be afraid to know where I was am now if I was still DJing maybe and getting a lot of attention. Um, but I'll tell you in 2010, I wasn't feeling the music on the radio. Britney, Jason Derulo, I the man the the guy who took over at Kiss, we were and we're great, we're friends now, but we bumped heads. He didn't really understand me. He, you know, I'm not I wasn't what's what I love about me and my career is that I wasn't the guy on the radio that said, Hey, uh, you know, it was like I just kept it fucking real. It was like my approach was always real. And my the guy who took over at the time didn't understand that like he just went with how i sounded he didn't understand what i meant to the fucking city no. you know what i'm saying like well, that's why we I, I, get, I listened to you in high school we listened to you every day driving home and it was because you were just a normal guy you weren't i never got into the morning radio dj types because it, it was the way what's up blah, blah, blah. it was right, right, wacky right. You were you were a normal guy. Yeah, it was on the radio. cool, man. And it was to hear. It was cool, man. It was like when I think back, when we were sending kisses out and doing all sorts of random shit. Bonics, yeah. Bonics, yeah. Bonics, all that shit. So, um, really thankful though. At that time, uh, so I wasn't feeling it. I had I was headbutting with the guy at work, and I could just feel like, man, I don't know if I could do this anymore. And I had done it for se almost seven years. So, at the uh, I remember when two thousand the turn of the century came, Will who's Wiz's manager now, asked me to DJ for Wiz at a Wale. Like, he was opening up for Wale in D.C., and he was like, we need a DJ. And I was like, certainly, fuck it. Yeah. So I did it, and I remember DJing, and it was a back-to-back -back show. So we did two shows that night, and I asked Wiz, like, yo, Wiz, how was it? He was like, yeah, I was like the best DJing I had. And, you know, a few months later, Will asked me, he's like, Wiz signed to Atlantic. Nobody knows it yet. We're dropping a song called Black and Yellow, and we're going to go on our first tour bus tour in September. And I remember crying in the studio at Kiss being like, I know the decision I have to make. I have to accept it. And my sister told me, I'll never forget it. She said, risk big, reward big. And um, that certainly happened. 
Yeah. I remember as soon as I said that I was going to um, quit my job, like I quit my job, benefits, I um, moved all my shit into like storage, basically. I moved into like my friend Kane's place, like was really like, all right, I'm going back to being humble and pinching my pennies here because I quit this full-time job and I don't know what's going to happen. And um, imagine dropping a song called Black and Yellow the the year the Steelers go to the Super yeah. Bowl, you know, and being a part of that whole fucking thing. So yeah. it was it was very cool. So I was going to ask you, so so you made that decision right before Black and Yellow dropped, right? Because that was yeah. 2011. Mm-hmm. Well, Black and Yellow came out in 2010. Okay, okay, 2010, mm-hmm. okay. And so from – did you know – that first time meeting Wiz, because I've spent a lot of time around comedians. That's those; those are kind of the artists that I know the best. And I, there's been a couple of guys who I knew very early on. I said, "Oh, these guys are going to be something successful. They're going to be big." And yeah. I, I don't think I have a special eye for talent. It's just easy to tell when someone's got that special touch. Did you know yeah. that with Wiz kind of no, when you first met him? I'm not. I can't. I don't know. I mean, I knew that there's something special because I wouldn't have fucked with him if I didn't. Right. Um, what was cool was, too, is that it was never this sort of, like, what he can do for me thing either. Like, I was already kind of popping. Like, I'll just say that. Like, I thought for me and just DJing. Everyone knew who I was. I'm DJing every night of the week, blah, 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 blah. So... It was just honestly real time shit. Like I wasn't like, uh, you know, I, I just supported him as he went through with almost no expectations. But I knew he was one of the best things I could book in the city. He looked the part, you know, um, and he was he was doing his thing. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to say that and take claim for that. Like oh, I saw him and I knew. Um, but I wouldn't have fucked with him if I didn't. Yeah. How nuts was it when you? We're kind of at the peak of touring. I mean, I, I ran into you at an airport one time. I think this was the Pittsburgh airport. And I was, you know, we were t- we talked real quickly, and you were just telling me, "Oh, last week I was here. This week I'm here. Next week I'm there." You're just kind of giving me your schedule, and it just sounded nuts to me that mm-hmm. that's what you're doing every single week. Was it crazy to jump from just being the man in Pittsburgh and, and going into the the station I every day? Mean, shit, like it was just amazing, man. To get to travel, to get to do that through DJing Europe. Australia, MTV, BET, David Letterman, Monique, uh, George Lopez. Like that was all within the first like six months of me joining Wiz. And, and, um, man, no, because like, I guess for some, you know, I I love when people are like, I don't know if I could do what you do. I'm like, well, with that attitude, certainly. Um, but when you get opportunity to travel, and to do what you love everywhere. Like, imagine going to Africa and motherfuckers wearing Pittsburgh hats. You know what I'm saying? Like, this shit's special. Yeah. So you, I think it was very shortly after you started touring with Wizzo, you actually had a heart attack. And I, this was after I had just left Pittsburgh, so I wasn't keeping up with- Where'd you go? Where'd you go? This I started law school right after that, so I was- Where'd you go to law school? Notre Dame. I was in Indiana. Oh, shit. Shout out to Mike Jacks. That's right. That's right. And uh, so what went on with that, with the heart attack? Because then you were back to touring very quickly after that. I remember seeing that. Yeah, I was. Um, Man. Well, let's say I got back from tour and I was like feeling good about being back in the city. And I was DJing on a Wednesday night and uh, 
I could just feel like my breathing was something was wrong. And so I actually like dealt with that for a couple of days. I left the DJ. I never left in the middle of a DJ. Game. I was like, oh, I can't. So for like two, I, I was staying at Mikey's house at the time. So I actually stayed at my buddy Ray's house that night. The next day I went back to Mikey's and I lived, you know, it was like another two nights. And, um, I was scared. I didn't have benefits cause I quit my job and I was afraid I was going to go to the hospital and they're going to be like, you smoked your lung and it fell off because I really thought that's what happened. Cause we smoked weed. That was the fucking wake and bake tour. Right. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. So I thought I was going to have like a green fucking lung and they're going to tell me that. But even worse, um, I went to the clinic eventually. We stopped by Starbucks on the way and, uh, and they were in there and I was like, I can't breathe. And they took an x-ray and they were like, we can't find anything wrong with your lungs, but we're going to put you in this ambulance and take you to the hospital. And I think they knew I was having a heart attack or had one or, and, um, but they didn't want to tell me there. Cause maybe I'd fucking panic and get to, I think it was upper St. Clair hospital. And, um, the heart, the cardiologist was already gone and he drove back for me and he said, Brandon, you had a heart attack this morning. Called my fucking mom. And, uh, he was like, Ms. Glova, your son's about to go into surgery. So, um, that's what went down. And only like a week later, they asked me, they're like, do you want to do BET with Wiz? And some people got mad at me. They were like, dude, you fucking had a heart attack and you're out there doing it. And, and my answer to them was, this is what I do. What was I going to do? Most people want to use a heart attack as an excuse not to show up to work for two months. I want to do what I love. Yeah. So I literally was like, of course I'll do BET. <laughs> and um, that was amazing that we got to do that. And I'm so thankful. And then that was still even before Steelers going to the Super Bowl and shit. We performed at the AFC Championship that year. You know, it's crazy. So did you have any complications after the heart attack? I mean, did they ever figure out what it was that, that brought it on? Um, You know, like I just had a blocked artery. I don't think that they're, you know, maybe my eating habits, maybe my family history, maybe drugs and alcohol. You know, I have no idea. I know people who do hard drugs now that I'm just like, how the fuck did I get a heart attack? These motherfuckers are going crazy. Um, but you know, since then I, I don't want to say I've struggled, but it's, it's been a journey to try to really be more healthy. And I really only in the last three years kind of took it by the horns and, um, I'm feeling good. That year that, that black and yellow comes out, this and you have the Steelers winning the Super Bowl. Like you said, you're it was this moment for Pittsburgh when everything is coming together. And I, it's it's hard to explain to people who live in other other cities because I, I live in Indianapolis now, and you'll see uh, most a lot of people wear Colts jerseys, but you'll also see Bears jerseys and you'll see Cubs hats. You know, there's something about Pittsburgh that you will not see another team's hat or jersey. There there is an uh, an honor and a unity in pittsburgh that you don't see in, in very many other cities so around that time when Wiz is is at the top black and yellow is number one and and our, our teams are number one was there a particular moment where you're just like this is this isn't real was there i mean that was happening already when i was on the radio and the steelers won the super bowl and yeah. i was djing big ben's pool party and i was <laughs> hanging out with heinz ward and i went to the super bowl in um tampa where they fucking won and the steelers hooked me up with tickets that i could buy and and i was djing for the fashion show the steelers fashion show and 
so I I already knew that that was fucking special. Pittsburgh is a fucking great place. I didn't know you lived in Indianapolis. So shout out to Indiana Jones. Rest in peace to my man Indy, yeah. one of the greatest DJs out there. If you don't know him, I don't know him. I have to look him up. He's from Indy. Yeah, he throw his name around there. Ron, okay. he's, uh, okay. he's, a goat. he's a goat, but he uh, he actually died of a heart attack last year. I'm so, sorry to hear that. Um, you know, shout out to Indy. Well, you know, speaking of people who died too young, I mean, what was your relationship with with Mac Miller? Yeah, you know, Mac came around when, you know, because he was recording in ID Labs, and obviously, like, and I just will say this the way that I remember is, like, I was on the radio, so, like, these cats knew who I was, and um, <laughs> it was Little Homie. He dropped kids from the Kiss studio. He, I did cuts off kids. He toured with me and Wiz in the fall after that Super Bowl, um, and so, you know, he was the little little homie, and... Um, Really thankful to have that relationship with him and his family. His mom and I were friends too. And um, I guess when you're like with your respected rap crews, eventually um, there was always like this little like Wiz and Mac sort of unspoken sort of, I don't even know what to call it. Uh, from the, from the outside, it was like, kind of like a big brother, little brother rivalry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it was just like both of them were young men getting in their shit, to, you know, on. So um, eventually when Matt kind of like blew up or whatever, unfortunately, we didn't really – we weren't talking every day. But anytime I saw him or he called the radio station for me, he – you know, by the end of his uh, radio career – he only did three interviews when Divine Feminism or Divine Feminine came out, and I was one of them. Um, so Mac always gave me love, showed me respect, stopped to talk to me. The last time I really saw him, he introduced me to Anderson Pack in South America. So, um, you know, if I had any regrets, it would be like maybe getting to do a song with him. Or I did a remix for him uh, early on, but he was so unknown that like it wasn't really. People didn't know, but, and then there was a whole era of people who didn't want to give Mac Dap because he was this white kid rapping. Um, I was reminding Edan about when, I remember when Edan even was kind of like rolling his eyes about Mac, like, yeah, I don't know about this kid. Uh, and, you know, they became super close eventually. And um, Mac was a fucking special kid, man. I really cried hard when I found out the news and um, fucking love that guy. Well, you know, and he was very open about his struggles with drugs and alcohol. He, they were in his lyrics. I mean, did did you guys kind of see it coming or, or was it a shock? Um, you know, by that time, we weren't around him enough. He was living in L.A. From what we heard and what I heard, you know, Mac was going hard um, with drugs and alcohol. But then also there were moments like when he was in South America with us, he was completely sober and he had... Um, I remember he had like a therapist with him on the road. And I also remember when he came to Portland, we weren't allowed to bring, there was no drugs or alcohol backstage, you know? So he really created these boundaries to help him. Um, and he was looking healthier and, um, but it's really hard to listen to like faces and all that shit because he like basically talks about doing drugs and dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, and that, it's tough because there's even when you know that he's having issues, there's not much you can do with anyone in that situation if if they're not trying to get help themselves. So you, you're kind of as, as a friend Mac definitely was getting help. I can't really speak to sure. the final night when it went down, but 
Someone sold him bad drugs, man. Yeah. And fuck that guy. Yeah. What, what do you think created that moment in Pittsburgh? You know, when you when you had Wiz and Matt coming up at the same time, can that do you, does it take? I and I know your and Wiz's relationship with Benji isn't great anymore, but does it take someone like that to kind of be the entrepreneur to to create the the system to let? I mean, I'll say company? this: like the fact that Benji had money to be able to help facilitate this shit probably helped. Um, but as far as like what you're saying about creating them, you know, certainly mad people have money behind them that don't ever blow up. I don't know what that answer is. Yeah. And I'm completely happy not knowing, um, because when you try to figure shit out like that, you're never going to, you're going to go crazy thinking about it. I just think it was time place you know st louis had their moment with nelly atlanta i mean still is having their moment but like as far as these cities that weren't necessarily known to be hip-hop cities or whatever i think it was just everything at the time yeah. it was like just a great man if i could go back a little bit if i could go back but i don't know what that answer is man i just think that it's one in a million chance that um that all could go down. Would there be Mac without Wiz? I can't even answer that. You know, yeah. I think Mac would have still been doing his thing, but the way that Pittsburgh brought, or the way that Wiz brought attention to Pittsburgh, I think helped open it up for Mac as well. Yeah. Um, but obviously, both of those guys stand as you know stand alone. Like I really think Wiz is like you know they always talk about entertainer versus. Uh, artist and I'm always like Wiz is definitely an entertainer oh, yeah. and Mac is an artist you know and I'm not saying that Wiz is an artist either but um, Wiz knows how to entertain and write these songs that are like dude uh huh you know what it is black and yellow black and yellow like fuck so simple yeah. and basic but really captured what was going on so yeah. um, both both of those guys are fucking amazing well, that's what's so magical about Wiz and that song in particular is you can have guys, you know, in the Hill District playing that song. And then you can have my mom out in the suburbs playing that song. And everyone right. loves it. Everyone loves it. That was what was so magical about what Wiz does, you know, stills doing. I mean, you know, Wiz was a part of the turn, like a turnkey in hip hop where it went from like, uh, you know, he was on when you go back to visit that Freshman 10 cover. It was like Wiz and Kendrick and J. Cole and. Big Sean, and man, what a class. Yeah. What a class. Yeah. You came up in a very interesting time technologically for music. You know, you, you were there before MP3 players and iPods and before Spotify. What's been the, the number one biggest change from when you kind of were first starting in college to now when it comes to the music industry and to, to DJing in particular? I remember meeting my RA at college at Pitt, and he said, and I remember the first time visiting the dorm and introducing myself to him. And he had said something to me that I just didn't know what the fuck he was saying until now. He said, man, there's this thing called an MP3. It's a compressed music file. And I was like, okay. So then Napster and then all that shit happened. And so, man, just music going digital is probably a really big thing. That, But I was still buying records for 
the next seven years because I wanted a DJ turntable. So I would say as far as DJing is concerned, that digital DJing shit, the Serato, shout out to Serato, Scratch Live, um, to Tractor for being able to have DJs have unlimited songs um, and not have to break their back. I spent a lot of years carrying records, you know. <laughs> so have you fully adopted the latest technology? Do you try to keep any of that, that old stuff that you grew up on? Yeah, I mean, I'm still using turntables and all. I prefer that. But, uh, you know, I don't. I probably don't take advantage of Spotify and all this shit. I'm pretty basic about how I listen to my music. If I like it, I listen to it. Um, I don't consume music like I used to. Like it used to be like everything to me. Um, but I've, but people are everything to me now. So it's just my vehicle now to help impact people. Yeah. So I wish I could say that I, you know, I could talk the talk and I definitely love music and, and, you know, like what I like, but, um, I was, you know, I was, a, I was a hip hop head when I was coming up right now. I'm just, a uh, you know, I like to explore music, but I li listen to a lot of I like to listen to a lot of instrumental music right now. Um, I don't want to hear, I don't want to be swayed. I want to come up with my own. Yeah. Like, you know, I just, I, I like, I like listening right now to like a lot of instrumental shit, like lo-fi, like background, because um, I don't know. I, I'm just really more careful about what I ingest uh, anymore. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I think that's a good thing for everyone. That's good advice because with social media everywhere, you can you can ingest a lot of shit. Right. And I think more and more people have to be careful about what it is you're ingesting because that is it, it, it's food for your messaging, brain. Whatever man, fucking messaging, you know. Um, and I wish I did have the capacity to just be like, I'm gonna listen to all this cool music and shit. I'm just being real right now. Yeah. Um, and I do trust me. People are like, yo, this is it. Like I love, but the shit that really has. Um, resonated with me is stuff like Kamasi Washington. I don't know if you know him, Bad, Bad, Not Good, and just like jazz and instrumental. And again, like been listening to lo-fi playlists. And um, I don't know, man, it makes me, you know, create my soundtrack. But then of course I got to do my homework and listen to music and put on the rap caviar and find out what the kids love or whatever. So for the young guys coming up, I mean, would you recommend they kind of just do the same thing? Is you got to just listen to what speaks to you. You got to use whatever equipment. I mean, it's, different, it's a different game right now. It just depends about what type of DJ you want to do. So if you're coming up as a DJ, I mean, just get good at it. I mean, it doesn't matter what genre it is. Um, I know if you can mix a record or not. Right. So it, like I told you earlier is when you're good at something, it's undeniable. And so once you get to that point, there's no question if you're good, then you can, I feel like, kind of explore and fine tune and maybe narrow what you're trying to do down. But, you know, just being a good DJ, like there's so many great DJs in Pittsburgh, so many genres that from house to reggae to hip hop. Um, and so being exposed to them and, and seeking them out and learning from these cats, even if it was like a lesson or I learned a lot, man. I loved it. I mean, I, you know, and I wish right now, like if I spent the last, if I, right now what I love is that my personality is shine through this and my voice. And so it's sometimes I miss the whole like Bonix that was like in the lab all the time and trying to make remixes. And um, that Bonix doesn't come out as much anymore. 
because I just love being a part of a community and using my voice and experiencing different things, man. I think it's really important. A message, uh, something that really resonates with me right now is just like holding on to things for a long time may not serve you. And, and so that's why I'm getting into this next level of Brandon 2.0, whatever that means, of just exploring different ways. And that's why I call DJing a vehicle more than I mean, it's my passion, but it's just like people are my passion now. Doing as much as I can and and living and and experiencing is my passion, less music. You know, uh, it was my passion before, and that passion brought me to this point. And that doesn't mean I can't always go dive deep and get back into it. Or, But um, I do miss those days where I'd be just creating routines and doing all this shit. But I'm recognizing that I can still make that same impact in different ways, you know. And you were always big on the community. I remember even when I was in Pittsburgh, you were always out doing events, doing fundraisers and, and all that stuff. So and that's not something new for you. Where does that come from that you always had that wanting to give back? You know, it comes from my mom, honestly. Like she always is thinking about people in the Philipp- our relatives in the Philippines. If you look, I'm just going to show yeah, you yeah. because if I don't show you it, then you're really not going to even up until this day every year forever my mom puts together these packages we call them balak buy-in boxes in the philippines so here's one and then she has all this stuff right here that um we're sending to the philippines like oh, she has notes on it and blah blah blah, blah. and uh, and uh, when we go back to the philippines you know we have like six or seven boxes and we're distributing all this shit to our relatives to the third world country and um, I think that's where it stems from. Uh, you know, I never really even said that out loud like that. Um, I mean, in fact, I know that's where it comes from. But it just feels right, dude. You know, like stuff a bus with Mikey and Bob. And um, I did do a lot. It's funny because I did do a lot of charity events and shit. And, and um, you know, I get a lot. I can exist in both. And that's the thing is that, like, I'm still a DJ, still DJing in the clubs, still making an impact, and I can still do all this other stuff. So I think there's something to be said about like, yeah, certainly I could just be like DJ, 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 and that's it. But if I'm not sharing my blessings, then, you know, that's my purpose. And, you know, it might not be the same for other people, but that's my purpose. So um, currently right now, I'm doing a fundraiser for the Salvation Army where I'm raising money to help uh, people who have been displaced or have been hard time paying their rent or mortgage during the pandemic, homelessness. And so I'm raising money. And if I raised a certain amount, I would be able to repel off the Mall of America 14 stories. And I reached my goal. We're still collecting now. I have a whole team now. And we're close to like $15,000 raised. Wow which is really cool and incredible and I still can DJ and shit. So to anyone out there who says that they can, like you can DJ and give back to your community and, 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 and. What was the pandemic like for you? Because mm. to go from being on these worldwide tours, one of the biggest acts in the world to just having it all shut down. I mean, that had to be like a huge impact on you. Did you just focus on, on radio or? Yeah. So thankfully I had radio at the time. But also at the time, George Floyd happened and I was living in South Minneapolis. Um, So being able to be on the radio during that time to play voices on the radio, to to tell people it was going to be okay. um, And I'm getting emotional thinking about it. 
because it was a fucking scary time for people. Um, it was a scary time for people. So having that experience, I, I COVID caught up to me later. Um, I lost the radio station went away. Um, and trying to think i'm trying to see like what roads not to go down uh but uh you know seeing my friends lose their jobs getting covid myself um it came a little late for me as far as like how it affected me i was so thankful to be able to work through the whole pandemic basically until the end of last year um and we're still in the fucking pandemic so yeah. Yeah, it's not over yet. Is are you guys touring again? What's what's the one off? One offs are happening right now. We have a residency in Vegas every month at Dre's. That's been really cool. We're doing some festivals coming up. Red Rocks. Um, we're doing Firefly, and um, just you know, take it as it comes. Like, there's so many fucking tours and shit this fall that we were thinking about doing a whole tour, but. People can only buy so many fucking concert tickets. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I got this opportunity happening. I don't think I really said this out loud on a podcast or anything, but looks I'll probably be moving to Vegas in the next uh, soon to work with uh, Hardeen Weed Dispensary and uh, helping them out, which is great because, again, it's about new experiences. And so I'm really excited about that. So doing like events for them in Vegas? No, I will be heading up um, a lot of their ambassador relations, oh, cool. which is cool. So I'll get to be working with artists and actresses and skateboarders and models and um, share, you know, trying to spread the word of an amazing weed dispensary in Vegas called Harding. That'll be fun. Will you still be DJing while you're doing that? Yeah, you know, I got a residency at Dre's uh, in Vegas, which is cool. And um, I think naturally I'm going to make my way in the city as a DJ. Um, watch out. Bonix, I could talk to you all night about this, but it's late. I appreciate all the time you've given me already. Where can people listen to you right now? Uh, well, right now, I took a break from the Twitch, but the Twitch was popping for a while. So make sure you follow me on Twitch, DJ Bonix. I'm on Friday night in Pittsburgh, PA, 961 Kiss uh, at 10. You can hear that on iHeartRadio app if you'd like. I'm in Philadelphia uh, at 11 to midnight on Friday night, which is also iHeartRadio app. You can find me um, at the i just dj's uh, twins games i'm gonna do a couple more twins games this season you can find me on the cw in the twin cities i'm a tv host there as well and uh, i get to do cool fun little hits and interviews and uh we're just gonna keep this thing moving come find me at dj bonix twitter facebook instagram and twitch at dj b-o-n-i-c-s bonix you do it all again man i appreciate it Man, thank you for having me. Um, for those of you who don't see what happens in the background, this guy's been trying to chase me down to do this podcast, and I feel completely awful. So this is my formal apology to you. Eric. <laughs> no, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you, um, you know, uh, didn't think I was a dick or anything like no, that. No, listen. When I was 17, you gave me free tickets to Fallout Boy, and my date back then. 
loved it because I told her that they were actually really expensive. So no, I I've owed you did, one. Did you win them on the radio or yeah what? yeah 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 yeah? Was, I, I forget exactly. It was some sort of giveaway you guys were doing. Wow. But uh, Fall Out well, Boy was the act back then. I mean that was that oh was yeah. like 2005. I got to uh, Paul Wall was at that show. I got to um, oh, that's right. I got to maybe he was at the show because I got to interview Paul Wall and Pete Wentz at the same time or the same day. But I'll tell you. Uh oh, that reminds me of a like I want to start a podcast, which is funny, and I want it to be called like a probably really short podcast called Help Me Remember. Um, <laughs> because I think there's a lot of interactions that I've had with people all over the world that mm, I may forget. So you even telling me that I met you at the airport and I gave you Fallout Boy tickets is just like okay. <laughs> I don't remember, but you know, like that's something you won't forget. And uh, I'm sorry for forgetting that, but you know, I've had a lot of interactions in my life. Of course, life. no, no, no. I don't blame you at all. You're, you're just, you're someone. You have such a great energy that you're a memorable person. And I think so many people, with someone like you, just they remember these experiences that they have, even if it's just in the airport, because you just have that energy that that brings light into people's lives, no matter how brief it is. So I just think. I, you've, you've always been that's always been something I've tried to model myself after that type of energy and wow. so I've I always appreciate people like you I appreciate you talking with me again thank you I need that clip right there to <laughs> post that because I'll know, post that. Um, that's the one thing would would I choose Vegas as a landing probably not like not necessarily where I might want to uh, land roots but when I frame it in a way of the light is coming to Sin City. Yeah, I think that hey, maybe I can help change some lives there as well. Oh, I love it. Vegas could absolutely use some some good lights. They have a lot of neon, but some good actual positive light. Would yeah, be we'll awesome. see, man. Thank All you right. so much. Have a good night. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it, and uh, I'll expect a donation for my uh, fundraiser. You got it. You Thank got you. it, brother. All right. Thank you, man. <laughs> Take care.